0: Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Why don't you stand up, greet somebody nearby, and then we're going to hop into the music in just a second. To sing is a new one. I invite you to sit down as we teach you this first verse and chorus, and then I'll give you a chance to stand up and sing. Um, this song, uh, you've probably heard it. It's been out there. It's the blessing. Um, but this song, we only have access to this blessing because of what we just sang about in Living Hope. Amen. And the beautiful thing about this song is how how it captures a father's heart for his children. This is the same blessing that Tim, a lot of these words are the same words that Tim says over us after every service. And it's, it's a father's heart for his children. And I, I love living hope and I love the fact that I can say that he has set me free from sin and death that the grave no longer has a claim on me but at the same time that's not the end of the story it would have been enough but in addition to all of that he wrapped me into his arms as a father and then sings words like this over me so I'm going to teach you the first verse and the chorus is just amen you have to sing it in the British way. It has to be amen, not amen, okay? So it doesn't sound as good that way. So just get on board with me, okay? Um, but as we sing this, just remind yourself that, that that's that's where this is coming from. That God as a father, for those of us who have believed, for those of us who are in his family, who have been rescued from sin and death by the finished work on the cross, also have access to walk in this blessing. Amen? Well done. (laughs) Thank you, Bill.
1: Steve.
2: Thank you for joining us in worship this morning. Uh, We are not dismissing our kids to kids ministry at this time. We made the decision not to host uh, kids ministry during um, this service. And also Awana for tonight is canceled for the night as we've had some COVID quarantines hit our kids ministry. We thought it was wise to just take this week off. So parents, there are... Um, activity packets out in the lobby if you haven't already grabbed those. And um, so there are things for the kids to do in there, but the kids are going to stay in the service with us this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask Steve Fain to come up and join me. Steve is one of our elders, and he is going to tell us about an opportunity for uh, men's ministry, and then we're going to go through a couple other uh, opportunities for ministry in the church. All right. Thank you, Tim. Uh, it is good to, good to be
3: here. And I say, wasn't well, it good to see Alan back here playing? Uh, Hallelujah for his strength to do that. Thank you, Alan. Uh, You know, I've been here in church a a good many years, uh, 43 to be exact, and you can see I am a senior citizen uh, and getting more senior every day. Uh, And you know, being a senior citizen is not all bad. It has some great advantages, and uh, grandchildren, they'll love you to have them, will understand that comment. But, you know, it also has some downsides. One of them, there's a medical term, it, they call it memory deficit. Now, those of you that are my age, you understand that completely. That is a medical term, meaning you just have a poor memory. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a little counterintuitive. You, When you get my age, Steve, you'll understand this, and uh, that... You, The re- remote past, you can remember, but the recent past, not so much. For example, what I did and said and thought four weeks ago is a little fuzzy. What I said and thought and experienced four months ago is sort of in a fog. What I said and thought four years ago is in impenetrable darkness. But I I remember vividly and clearly how I felt 45 years ago when I was engaged, thinking about being married. I remember how that, I remember the excitement of it, and I remember the zeal and the joy and the wonder of it. First, I was thinking about being married, then I got married. Then quickly, I had four children, and I realized I did not really know what I was doing, <laughs> that nothing had prepared me from the wonder and the grandeur of the challenges I was facing. So I quickly panicked and began doing an energetic search. Before I got married, I said, "Is there something about this I don't know that I need to know?" But after. I was married, especially after I had children, I learned that there was a huge amount I did not know and desperately needed to know. So this search began, and it has continued for 44 years. I have a wonderful marriage to my sweet wife, and some lessons I've had to learn and then relearn and then relearn again. So it's a a process, and I have certainly not arrived, but... It has been a learning process. So with, with that background, I, I have really, uh, with great joy, I want to present to the young men that are here, that are either thinking about married or married with no children or married having children, that I want to give you an opportunity to be exposed to the things that I learned the hard way through experience. It's an 11-week course. It starts Tuesday week, the 7th of September, from 6 to 8. And it's a video presentation by Better Men, which is an organization devoted to helping young men. And we'll watch the video. We will have discussions. I want to tell you some of the things that it covers. Listen, Listen to this now. It's covered, it looks at the definition of manhood. Man, it's confusing in today's time what a real man should be. The four life-giving principles of a real man. How to be a biblical man that will bring you life, and if you're married, to the life of your family. How to grow in your walk with Christ. Why a dad is so important to children and what they need from you, their father. What in your past undermines your ability to be a good man? Most of us have a lot in our past that impacts the way we live today, the way we father, the way we uh, are a husband. How to face the challenges you face as a godly man. What your wife, our future wife, needs to be happy and fulfilled and how to meet those needs. So, It covers that and it covers more. So I really want to reach out to you guys that maybe you're experiencing what I did many years ago or maybe you think things are fine. It's an opportunity to sharpen your skills, to increase your knowledge of bringing God's blessings to your home as you learn to prepare for marriage, or if you're married, to be a good husband. and If you have children, to be a good father. It's an exciting time. This is really excellent materials. And I strongly encourage you to come. And uh, so I'm going to be down here, it, down front, after the service. And please come up and talk to me. And we're going to start a week from this Tuesday, September the 7th, from 6 to 8. Please come. And I look forward to seeing you there.
2: Amen. Thank you, Steve. Um, we also have some women's studies that are ongoing or starting up. And so there's a Wednesday morning study um, led by Rhonda and Jan, um, Rhonda Brown and Jan Hare, that takes place in this building. The sign up for that is in the lobby, as is a Thursday night. Bible study led by Ruby, Um, sign up for that is in the lobby. And then Jess, my wife, leads a Monday evening study as well, and you can talk to her for more information about that. So please um, consider how you would be involved in these uh, men's and women's study opportunities. Um, Also life groups, Um, if you have any interest in in joining the life group, we've got some new groups up and running and uh, or starting soon. And so we'd love to get you involved and connected Um, There. Also, we are hosting a concert in our uh, youth room on September 10th with a man named Adam Whipple. This is a connection that Jason has with some um, artists in the general area and bringing in um, this singer-songwriter, Adam Whipple. And there's some information on Facebook about that, but mark your calendars for that. That's September 10th. Um, Now, we're going to show you a video from some of our mission partners, and I'll use this opportunity. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Missions Conference after the video. Um, But if you don't have one of these, I would really encourage you to get one of these. This is our 2021 Missions Prayer Guide, and what you're going to see on video is two of our mission partners that are in this prayer guide— If you're watching on the live stream we're going to black out this part of the service and the reason being that the the ministry happening um, in these parts of the world is much more sensitive and we can't broadcast this freely online and witnessed and i thank you for um, the ministry happening in west africa through our mission partners there i thank you for um, the exciting um, news of seeing grain distributed and seeing those pictures and hearing from um, our partners as well as representatives, leaders in the village that are saying that what we have been able to give, Father, out of the generosity you've given to us. We've just given freely back to you, and you are using it for the sake of your name and your glory in West Africa, and we give you all the praise and glory for that. And We pray for continued opportunities for ministry, to proclaim your name, and to tell the way of your kingdom and the truth of your gospel um, through our partners there. And um, as it's not just the two we saw on screen, but we have many Um, partners within that people group and within that nation that uh, we're able to help support and be a part of the ministry that they're doing so father i pray for boldness for them for courage for them and wisdom as they um, present your good news and in christ's name we pray amen okay so we have had an incredible weekend Um, at this uh, Missions Conference. Lots of plans have changed along the way, including the fact that Liz Joyce, who organized the weekend for us, um, has not been able to participate in person with any of it because her son tested positive for COVID. So we have two of our missionary families now quarantining basically across the street and unable to be with us this morning. Um, But that's okay because we've still had some incredible um, events um, Friday, uh, yesterday, and then Today, and so thank you all for being a part of this. Uh, we have some missionary guests with us this morning, and i 'm going to actually introduce them at the end because we 're going to close our service today by praying for our guests that are here the the multiple missionaries we have um, but for right now i 'm going to introduce Nick Brown. you can make your way on up here. Uh, Nick has spoken to our um, body before in June um, while I was on sabbatical, so Nick and I met for the first time this morning, but um, some of you have already gotten to meet him and hear from him, but he is preparing to go. Um, overseas into South Asia with his family, and uh, they are hoping to go um, by the early part of next year as we pray for the rest of their support to be raised, but also for um, the government to let them in in the midst of the the COVID crisis. So uh, I'm going to pray for Nick, and then Nick is going to share with us this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear from Nick, and I pray your blessing over him and Julia and the kids as they finish their last preparations over the next few months. And, uh, Father, thank you for their heart, for their willingness to answer the call, to go and proclaim uh, your good news to the nations. Now, speak through Nick to us as we um, hear your word. And, uh, Father, may we be changed by the uh, proclamation of your word today. And we praise you, Father. In Christ's name, amen.
4: Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Kind of a response. I don't know if it is a good good morning. Good morning. Oh, I love it. I love it. Sorry, I've been in education too long. I feel too comfortable to make those kinds of comments. But is it really a good morning? That's the question. It seems like in the world, we have a plethora of things that are really hard right now. There are countries being overthrown. Economies are tanking. Leaders being assassinated. Civil unrest. People are starving. There's rioting. Oh yeah, and there's a global pandemic as well. And that's just on the big scale. When you zoom in to the church we have even more problems, right? We have persecution in our culture, materialism, where we're living for the treasures of earth, finding our security in stuff and not in Jesus. Popular people coming into the church and persuading people to embrace worldly living We have spiritual compromise. We try to love Jesus on Sunday, but then we dive headfirst into immorality Monday through Saturday. We have such affluence that we've become self reliant, self sustaining, not Jesus dependent. And in some situations, we've become a dead church who doesn't even bother to share the gospel. The world doesn't hate us because we're not a whole lot different than the world. Or perhaps we're just struggling, feeling disconnected from others. You come to church, you're surrounded by people, but you feel alone and isolated. Sorry, that's a heavy way to start, isn't it? How many of you have felt recently like this resonates with you? What's interesting to me is that those issues that I just mentioned, when we zoom into the church, these are the same issues that the churches, that John is writing to in the book of Revelation, that they were dealing with. These are not new issues. These are issues that the church has been dealing with for millennia. So the beginning of Revelation, John introduces himself. We get sort of the context, and then chapters two and three, there are these messages to the different churches. Do you remember this? They're short messages. But to Ephesus, there's this challenge that they're living with the world's priorities. They're living for the treasures of earth and seeking security in that. That's familiar. <laughs> Smyrna was dealing with persecution all around them. Pergamum needed to stand up to false teachers. Thyatira, they were living with spiritual compromise, worshiping God on Sunday and then immorality on Monday. Sardis had an inoffensive Christianity, not in the sense that we try to offend people, but the gospel in and of itself is offensive. You're telling people that whatever you try and do, you're still headed for hell. You need Jesus. You need someone else to help and save you. That's offensive. But if you're not sharing the gospel, then they're probably not being offended by the gospel. In Philadelphia, they were feeling left out or forgotten. Or were the only ones that are still trying to follow God. And in Laodicea, there was this self-reliance, this Complacency. They were warm, right? Lukewarm. God wanted to spew them out because they're not hot or cold. The context in which John is writing is a really bleak one. The Roman Empire was flourishing at that time. It was not friendly to Christians. There were a couple hundred more years of this Roman Empire, but during this reign, there was this imperial cult that developed where you have to worship Caesar as God, And people that didn't were losing their jobs. They were being persecuted, and they were dying for it. John and these churches are looking for a solution. And we heard earlier today the anger and the frustration at the news, at the sickness that's all around. Aren't we also searching for a solution? We kind of want someone to show up and fix it, right? And yet, sadly, we end up looking in all the wrong places. Maybe this political leader, maybe this celebrity, maybe this pastor. Don't get me wrong, I love your pastors. But they're not the hero that's going to be the solution. So these messages are listed in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And while we don't have time to dig into it this morning, I would encourage you, read those two chapters. And focus on the promised blessings for those who conquer. They are so encouraging. Especially when, as you're reading through it, you're like, I identify with that. Like, I struggle with being lukewarm sometimes. I struggle with not sharing the gospel. Read the blessings for those who conquer. That is inspiring. It can put a fire underneath you, and it's great. Dig into those passages. I mentioned when I preached here before that I'm a teacher, so I often frame when I get an opportunity to speak, I frame it as like a lesson where I ask questions and then I wait an awkward amount of time for those answers. Um, When I taught on Guam, I used to direct plays. And so what I'd like to do today is to dig into Revelation chapter 5 and try and shine a light on the drama that God creates in this chapter. It is beautiful. Like, I cannot tell you how excited I am. I get to preach about this. When Pastor Tim contacted me saying like everything that was happening here with the quarantines and whatnot, and he's like, I understand if you feel comfortable not or feel uncomfortable to come. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. I need to preach this. Like, I love this chapter and it's beautiful. So if you open up in your Bibles to Revelation 5, Lord willing, I want to help you see the drama that God has created here. Not dramas and like We're no longer friends, but like, (laughs) is it like a beautiful story? So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, you are good. We come before you today and we ask you to teach us through your word. Help us to see the truths of your word, and I pray that you would change us as a result of looking into your word. Help us to understand the passage, to understand practically what it's going to mean for us, and give us the courage and boldness to live out the application. Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have right now to encourage one another to meet publicly, to celebrate who you are, who Jesus is, Thank you, God. Please give us grace now. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 4, John sets the stage. He's been taken up into heaven, into the throne room of God. He sees the throne. It's surrounded by this rainbow that has an appearance of an emerald. I don't fully know what that means, but it sounds beautiful. So he sees this. And then around the throne are 24 thrones with 24 elders on those thrones. They're dressed in white garments. They have golden crowns on their heads. From the throne, you then have these flashes of lightning. You've got rumbles. You have these peals of thunder, okay? Are you picturing this? Picturing this in your mind right now? So you have this throne and you've got lightning. You have all of these thrones and elders around. And then in front of the throne there are seven torches of fire and there's also the sea of glass that looks like crystal then we have these four living creatures now many people they see these creatures as representing different nations throughout history there's a lot of different inferences that we take from here but the lion the ox the creature with the face of a man and an eagle and they're covered with eyes and have six wings these creatures are saying holy holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they cry this out, the elders then fall down before him who's on the throne and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's a glorious scene, isn't it? That's beautiful. I know we overuse, we overuse the word awesome to say it about like anything. Like this hot dog is awesome. Like it's really not. It's, like, it's a hot dog, right? However, this scene is truly awesome. It inspires awe. And it's important for us to have this context before we go into chapter 5. Otherwise, John's responses are going to seem kind of weird So as we enter into chapter 5, just realize John is here. He's been taken up into the throne room. He sees this incredible scene. All right, that's the stage set. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the chapter 5 of Revelation. I'm going to read it through at a relatively normal pace. And I'm going to back up. And as I read it the second time, I'm going to try and add some stage notes on the side. But the first time, I'm just going to read straight scripture so we don't confuse what's me and what's the Bible, all right? Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped, or as Jason said, amen,
5: right? (laughs)
4: Is that not one of the most glorious passages of Scripture? This is it. Like, this is what we're looking forward to. I'm so thankful that God gives us a peek into this, that we get to see this, because, I mean, this is, this is the end that everything builds up to. So now I'm going to go back through the passage again, and I'm going to kind of slow it down and try and draw your attention, try and highlight in your mind different parts Of this passage. So we start off, he sees in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So we have this mystery from the beginning. There are seals, and we can't see inside. We don't know what's inside there, but we want to, right? As soon as I were to tell you, for instance, that there's something in my pocket over here that I'm not going to show you right now, instantly that's where you're looking, right? Or that's what you're thinking about. Or if I told you that I actually made a mark on the ceiling back there before everything started, how many of you want to turn around and look at it, right? A bunch of you are like, yes. Yes, we do. (laughs) Right? Big nods. I didn't actually. And I just have a phone, so it's not really a big deal. But here we have this mystery that it's sealed up. And so from the beginning, we're like, okay, that's what we want to know, right? The stage is set. We have this scroll, and we want to know what's inside. And so then the angel starts proclaiming, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And we don't know how much of a gap comes. Like God gives us details in in scripture, but he doesn't give us all the details. There's no time stamps in what's taking place here. But we know next verse, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. We don't know how long this takes. This is like John knew from the beginning. Now there's one thing that's very clear. John isn't raising his hand. (laughs) He's not like, I'll do it. I'll take it. (laughs) Definitely not. John's like not moving, it seems like. He's just watching. But no one is coming forward that we see in this moment right here. And I'm guessing it's not instantaneous because John starts to weep. And when you read through this really quickly, if you're kind of blitzing through it, you might miss this. You might think like, wow, John must be a really emotional guy. Like, no one can open the scroll and he bursts into tears loudly. But this is why it's important to understand The scene, right? This whole thing is incredibly epic. He's there, and this scroll must be important, because the one who's on the throne has it, and it's sealed, and I need to know what's inside, but nobody can open it up. Like, this is a problem. But really, we feel this same problem right now. That we want to know what's going to happen. We want to know who's going to fix this. And we keep looking around. It seems like this is the constant narrative that we see in the news. Whenever a A new popular figure comes out, regardless of the context, whether it's a sports player or it's a musician or it's a political figure or whatever, a religious leader that we say, yes. And it's because our hearts yearn for this, right? We want someone that'll come forward as the hero, the conquering king. And he's coming. It's just not yet. But I hope that you can empathize with John here where he starts to weep Because no one is worthy. And then we have one of these elders say to me, say to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Gotta love that's past tense. That's not will conquer. He's going to do his best. No, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then he looks and he sees the lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns. That can represent seven, usually the number of completion horns is power. So this lamb comes forward and it shows that he has all the power with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. People interpret that as all knowledge omniscience. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each holding a harp. Harps often represent sort of a, you're singing songs, you're giving worship. And in just a second, they'll start singing the new song. Golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of the saints. And then they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's that song. That's the first song right there. And if you can imagine, okay, I don't know if you're like me, when I picture this scene, I kind of think like everything else is black, like on the Does that make sense? Do you guys picture that? When you see the throne room, I see everything else is black around, like completely dark. And you see the rainbow and the throne. Some of you are nodding. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's good. But if you're you're visualizing this, it's almost like the camera starts to back out. Because then, in verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels. So it's like right there, we're in the throne room, and then it's like you back up and you hear these myriads of myriads of angels, thousands and thousands of angels. And they probably sing a little bit louder than we do, I'm guessing. So it's like the volume suddenly amplifies. We have this first song celebrating the Lamb and then backing it up, and the angels join in Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then it's like it zooms out again. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. It's like it backs up and you have everybody now. To him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Can you kind of picture that amplification? When I first read through the passage, I was like, okay, we got multiple songs going on. But like when you see it, it's like more and more and more. And aren't we so excited for the day where everybody suddenly gets it? Everybody. No longer are people fighting, but everybody says, no, blessing, honor, and glory and might go to God. Not to me. Not to this false religion, not to these other gods that we believe in. No, to the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. I'm so excited about this. So, you gotta understand this, the flow of this book so far. John introduces it, he writes these letters. Some of them are really hard letters to receive. He, he shares them with the, the seven churches. Words from Jesus, so return to your first love. Don't be lukewarm. Stand firm in persecution. And then John is brought up into the throne room, and he's absolutely overwhelmed with awe for God and for what's going on. And then everything comes to this jarring halt. The amazing being on the throne has this scroll that is obviously important. The angel calls out for someone to come and open the scroll. I don't know if there are crickets in heaven I'm guessing, I don't know, I don't, probably not. But like as soon as he calls out for it, I'm guessing it was quiet. John feels this weight. No one is worthy to unlock the destiny that God has created. As we already noted, John's context is a bleak one. Our world has a lot of problems. We're both looking for the solution. Who is worthy to fix this? One weeping in this moment. Again, God gives us some details, but not all of them. But you don't see any of the elders weeping. So one of them kind of prompts John in just a second. And this part's speculation. But I'm guessing one of the reasons why they are not weeping is because they have a very accurate view of who God is. I mean, if you're an elder sitting in the throne room, you get a very good picture, very clear picture of God. And I think part of John's weeping is that feeling this lament and loss and this hopelessness, right? Can we relate to that hopelessness? But in this moment, one of the, when, you, when you juxtapose the elders and John, and they're not weeping, it's because they know God's going to win. Like, maybe right now we don't see anyone who's worthy, but God's got this planned out. And so often when we're going through our trials and we feel that despair, that hopelessness, it's because we're not believing that God has a plan for this. How is God going to use this? And so then the elder leans over and prompts John. Now, I don't know... um, what kind of weep no more this was, oftentimes in acting, you're going to have like a, an emotion or something that kind of gives you, communicates how this line is meant to be done. I don't know if it's like a, quit your blubber and like, shut up, John. Like, no, no, I don't, I don't know if it was that or if it's more like a, don't cry, shop girl. Like, it's going to be okay, John. I don't know which one it was, but regardless, right after he says, weep no more, he says, behold, So often in our day and age, when we're experiencing pain and we're weeping, the people that try and encourage us, they try and give us some sort of trinket, like some sort of distraction. Don't cry, it's okay. Look at this. Like, here's the bright side. I don't because I do this with my kids. When one of my kids gets injured and they come up to me, right now it's my two year old. He believes that when I kiss a wound, it heals it. And I love that stage. It's such a wonderful stage. I do kind of feel like a magician at the time. But it's more of a distraction, right? So let's say crew comes running up to me. He's like, hurt, hurt. And I say, where do you hurt? And it's so wonderful when your ch- children can tell you where they hurt. It's such a blessing. Oh, than just hurt everywhere, you know. But he comes up and he'll show me his hand hurt. And I take them. And it's not like a get on. Like, like it's, that's not the idea. Because when a dad or a mom kisses the wounds, it is like a secret thing, right? You slowly kiss. There you go. All better. I'm not actually healing his hands, I know. But part of it is almost a distraction because it's like, oh, sweet. I'm good. I'm going to keep playing now. But we, even as adults, we do this. When someone's going through something really hard, in some of our missionary training, we call this um, a pair of ducks, a paradox. Two ducks swimming, swimming side by side. One is the yay duck and one's a yuck duck. And it's the idea of when you go through life, these two ducks, the pair ducks, are always together. But sometimes one is swimming in front of the other. Sometimes you're in a yay duck time, and everything is like sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, and it's fantastic. There are other times that there's a yuck duck in front. And part of our missionary training is the idea that you, when you're listening to somebody else who's voicing a yuck duck, something hard, that you don't yay their yuck. It's important not to yay someone's yuck. Some of you are like, I think I do that. Yeah, we all struggle to do that, right? Someone's like, I'm having a really bad day. and Like, well, at least you're still alive. (laughs) Look at that. You have two hands. You haven't lost one. That's a good thing. Okay, but don't, don't yay someone's yuck. When they're sharing their yuck duck with you, listen to it, acknowledge it, now, if they don't know about the yays and yucks, you might not be like, yeah, that's a yuck duck, because that could, that could seem kind of awkward. But you acknowledge that that's hard. You can pray with them, you can encourage them, but don't try and fix it, because that may be something that they're just going through in that moment. Circle back around with them later and check on them. That's how we love one another. But here, John's got this pretty big yuck duck, like... No one is worthy to open this scroll. But this guy in this situation does the only appropriate yay duck. He yays his yuck. He says, Weep no more. Behold, because where is he pointing his attention? The lamb is here. We have someone who's worthy. Now, part of the, the beautiful paradox here is, is he says, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, one of the hardest things in my studies that I've learned, one of the hardest things to do is to imagine what it's like to not know something. I know that's a really abstract concept, but it's really hard to imagine what it's like to not know something. I experienced this when I was trying to learn how to ski. My wife grew up in Utah, and so she grew up almost on skis. And I lived in South Africa, so like, what's a ski? So then we went and we were, uh, I was learning in northern Wisconsin on like a hill compared to the mountains in Utah. And I'll never forget, I'm dating this beautiful girl. She's got this curly red hair. She's just gorgeous. And she's skiing backwards saying, I don't know how to teach you. I don't really know how to explain it. And I'm like going from tree to tree. Like, can you try? Like, can you give me something? She didn't know how to explain it because it's like, how do you imagine? It's really hard to imagine what's it like to not know something. And when we read through this passage, it's like we already know what's going to take place. Oh, the lion of the tribe of Judah? I know who that is. But imagine, try to imagine if you didn't. You're in this scene, and there's this throne room, and someone says, weep no more. Behold the lion. I don't know, for you, but for me, I grew up somewhat close to lions. That would be a terrifying moment. You're like, I'm, weep no more. The lion? What? <laughs> like, is this where, is this is my end? Is this what happens right now? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he looks up, paradoxically, he doesn't see this lion. He sees a lamb. He sees the lamb, not debonair, not arrogantly dancing onto the scene, but looking as though it had been slain, because the lamb was slain. He underwent a horrific death. He paid a terrible price. John sees the horns and the eyes. Now, again, the idea of trying to imagine as though you're reading this passage for the first time we're tempted to make assumptions these assumed connections between events so if this is the first time you're reading revelation 5 you may feel confident that this is jesus but you may not be completely sure and if you're not sure that this is the lamb who was slain like what the whole bible is about then this lamb is really gutsy can you see that like this lamb shows up And there's all these elders and these incredible looking living beasts and the one who's on the throne and this lamb just walks right up and by the actions of the lamb claims, I'm worthy to take this scroll. That's a really bold move. But this is not like an Indiana Jones scene where he like sneaks in, like grabs the scroll, like leaves something else and like gets out by the skin of his teeth. That's not what the story is, right? Because Jesus knows. The lamb knows that he is worthy. As soon as he takes the scroll, there's confirmation because the the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down. And then they sing this song, this glorious, worthiness-confirming song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Reminds me of um, John one twenty-nine, where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the glorious echoes, the thousands of angels. And then every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea. So now let's zoom in to this verse 9 and 10. Let's zoom in to this song. Why is the lamb worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? Remember, I'm the teacher. You actually got to look. Why? Exactly. I love it when there's a four in there, right? For you were slain. Christ endured a horrific death for us. Christ who was with God before the beginning of time and the world knew what he had to do when he took on human flesh and was born as a baby. And he knew it was going to be hard. He even asked God in Gethsemane if this cup could pass from him. And if that's not licensed to pray anything, I don't know what is. (laughs) Because Jesus knew, this is, this is why I'm here. And he still asked God, can this cup pass from me? Yet he endured the cross, obeying the will of his Father. And in so doing, he ransomed us. Now, when Jesus ransoms someone, he is paying the price of their recovery. But in our day and age, in our world, in what context do we use the term Ransom. kidnapping, right? Hostage. Yeah. You're paying for the return of someone that you love, right? And if you pay that ransom, you want that person to come. It's not like I pay the ransom and like, "Yeah, but you just stay over there as long as you need." No. No, if I pay that ransom, come now. And oftentimes that's what we're afraid of is that after we pay the ransom that they won't actually release the hostage, right? This is part of the beauty here, is that Jesus has paid ransoms, the ransom, for people that are currently in the domain of darkness. And in this domain of darkness, there are a lot of people. Jesus has ransomed any and all who come to repentance. But many of these people are oblivious. If you were to think through this in a hostage situation, there's like 10 people that are hostages and one of them is from, I don't know, country Z. And they pay the ransom. You kind of want the hostage takers to inform this one person, right? Like, you've been paid for, get out of here. But really, if you view it in our day and age and what we're doing, that's our job is to tell people, you've been paid for. Get out of here. You need to come out of this domain of darkness. You've already been paid for. Can you imagine if you were in there as a hostage and you've been paid for, but you didn't even know it? Like you'd want someone to tell you, I've been paid for, I need to get out of here. So many people are oblivious though. They're ignorant of the incredible price that's been paid for them to be liberated from their chains of sin and to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And here's where we really take on the main missions kicker. Up until this point, it's, it's us reveling in how awesome Jesus Christ and our almighty God are. Here's where we get the fires under us to get up and get going. Jesus has ransomed people in every tribe. In every language, every people, every nation. There are people that are paid for. So, what do we do? What's the application of that? They need help. How will they know unless they're told? We got to go. Turn with me, if you will, over to Matthew 28. Somebody mentioned to me, they're like, I hope you're okay with sounds of kids in church. I'm like, usually it's my kids that are making the sounds in the church. My five. So... Doesn't bother me in the slightest. In verse 16, we're going to read from 16 down to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Normally, when I read that passage, I'm so focused on the go and make disciples. But at that that last phrase, to the end of the age, it's one of the reasons why I love Revelation 5 because that's the end of the age. Like we were just looking at the end of the age when he's going to be with us from Matthew 28 all the way to Revelation 5. He's with us. We sang that this morning. He is with us. That is so encouraging as we go and make disciples of all nations. Those that have been ransomed already baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we go. We make disciples. We engage in discipleship with our kids, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, With those who don't yet know Jesus, but have been ransomed by the blood of the Lamb who was slain. Discipleship. Helping people to become more disciples of Christ. We're doing that with each other. Whether it's on Tuesday, where you're learning about how to be a man after God's own heart and to grow whether it's Monday with your ladies' Bible study, whatever it is, like you're discipling one another and you need to be discipling one another. And if you're not discipling in some way, shape, or form, you're not obeying. And there's an end of the age that's coming and right now we need to live in light of that end of the age. And so then we're looking for these people who have been ransomed and we're looking to tell them And if they reject, it's understandable. It's fine. The gospel is offensive. We're moving on to the next one because we're looking for the people who have already been paid for. This world is broken and it's rife with problems and people are messy. And so discipleship is messy. It's messy work. But we dive in because he is worthy. He is worth the persecution that we will face. The hardship when we stand up to false teachers. When we return to our first love and are are passionate about God and sharing the gospel, we're going to be persecuted. He's worth the loneliness that we will face as we minister faithfully for our God. Because when you minister, I'm telling you, there is loneliness that will come. When you stand up for truth, others will walk away from you, and you will feel that loneliness. And he is worth it. Weep no more. Behold. He is worth the heat we'll take when we share the gospel, which will offend others. He is worth the struggle of fighting temptation to remain faithful to God. He is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving us a glimpse into the end of the age. Lord, we're so excited to be with you. To no longer have these struggles with sin. To be in our glorified bodies with you, Father. We're so excited. We're excited to see the one who is the solution. The hero who will fix everything. Father, forgive us for looking horizontally for this hero. Help us to weep no more, but to behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Lord, we thank you that he is worthy, for he was slain, and he has ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. God, help us to be bold in sharing the gospel. Give us wisdom and grace as we seek out those who you have already ransomed. We love you, Father. You are worthy. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen.
2: Hey, I'm, before we the team leads us in our last song, I'm going to ask all of our missionaries that are here today to join me on stage for just a minute. And so, yeah, Bill, Richard, also elders that are here, if you guys would join me on stage. And we're going to pray over our missionaries that have joined us for uh, this morning's service.
1: Do you feel the shadows
2: deepen?
1: We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Wish that you could see it all made new. We do. Is, is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is, is, coming? Coming? It it is. is. is the glory. Good.
5: dwell again.
2: I'm going to give you one more announcement. Um, As part of the Missions Conference, we've given you opportunities to adopt a missionary family for the year. Most of them have been um, adopted, but there are picture frames out in the lobby. If you want to adopt a family to pray for, to write cards to, please do that. There's about four or five left out there. But now let's close in the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Now go in peace.